0: Please turn with me to John chapter 18 as we look at the last portion of this chapter. Today we're going to be looking about looking at this concept of the truth and how we often choose other things beside the truth, other than the gospel. And so we'll be looking at that as we consider these words of our Lord. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, as we come to your word, I pray that you would guide us through it, that we might understand you, that we might learn from you, convict us of our sin, show us where we fall short, that we might glorify you. Show us where we don't believe the gospel, that we might believe and follow you. So Lord, we pray that you would take your word, in its truth, it is the truth that you would teach us from it, lead us to eternal life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so as I prepared this message this week, it reminded me of a story from when I was first beginning in full-time ministry. I was at a little church in New Albany, Mississippi. I guess little is a relative. It's a pretty good-sized church, I guess. And it was... At that church that I first began my full-time ministry, it's a church that's actually a member of our presbytery now. And when I started there, I was 23 years old. It's was barely old enough to vote, but yet I was in charge of all of the youth of the church. It's kind of funny, now I think, think back at it. So as a youth pastor, one of the things I tried to do is I was always tough on the kids when it came to respect. Particularly respect in the church towards each other. Towards the adults in the church, how you carry yourself so that so that folks will see you as more than just a silly kid, you know. To have some have some respect about you, so they can see you as someone who's growing in the Lord. And so, a student walked into the church one time during a Wednesday night kind of service, very very uh, casual environment, but walked into the church building with a hat on his head. And so. Along these same lines, I asked him to take his hat off, and he argued with me about it, which wasn't a new thing for this particular student, but he did take his hat off begrudgingly, and the next morning, his dad came to see me, and his dad was a little bit angry, and we went back and forth a bit about the hat, and, you know, thinking about it, thinking back at it particularly, it really wasn't that big of a deal, honestly. I really don't care if he wore the hat, I just wanted him, as a 16-year-old, to be seen as a member of the church as opposed to some little kid. And in that particular culture, wearing a hat inside, particularly inside the church, wasn't really seen of as a good thing. And so then the dad said something to me that kind of stuck with me. He said, I always teach my kids to speak their truth. And he spoke his truth to you, and it didn't matter. You have to respect his truth. He left a little upset. Things were never the same between me and that family. And I thought long and hard about what he told me, the concept of him speaking his truth to me. So think about that for a minute. Does it sound a little bit like our world today? Sounds a little bit like our world yesterday, too, the world that Jesus was living in, for that matter. In reality, the idea of truth has always been controversial because truth, Even though it can be defined in lots of different ways, just look up the word truth and start reading. It depends on what realm that you're in that truth is defined differently. But truth today, for most people, particularly as you read just about anything, you listen to music, you watch movies, truth is related to that person alone as they represent their own standard. And if that standard changes, so does their truth. There's no harm done. Everyone kind of has their own truth. One can have their own truth and have a different truth from someone else. And this is why we have things like, for better or worse, I'm not making a comment on these things as if they're bad necessarily, but like things like safe zones and, and trigger warnings. This was in the news recently that a college was standing out against these things. But this has become more and more popular because it allows us to not have our, inner, our truth to be interfered with, whatsoever. We get to decide what a terrorist to our truth looks like. And we we can choose not to have that. We can just have no one say anything to us at all about our truth. Because when the standard changes with the wind, who can even tell what the truth is? Maybe there is no truth today. Well, thankfully, in the scriptures, which we hold as the truth, God's word is true, And it contains absolute truth that governs every single person, yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we read this truth, we're not just reading our truth as Christians, but reading the truth that governs everybody who's ever lived and everybody today, everyone who will ever live, regardless of their safe zone. So in today's passage, Pontius Pilate comes face to face, with the way, the truth, and the life, our Lord Jesus. And so as we look at this passage, we will to consider two points from it. First, religion versus the truth of the gospel. And then a worldly kingdom versus the truth of the kingdom of God. And so let's look at this passage today, standing together as we read from the, the scriptures. John chapter 18, starting at verse 28. And reading through the end of the chapter. John chapter eighteen, verse starting at verse twenty-eight. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus. called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord, or did others say say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would not have been fighting, that that I might that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, "I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, do you want to release? Do you want me to release the king of the Jews?" They cried out again, "Not this man, but Barabbas." Now Barabbas was a robber. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So a little bit of background and review. Remember, Jesus was arrested late at night and been bound, and he had been led through town. He was first sent to the house of Annas to be tried, then to Caiaphas, and now to the house of Pontius Pilate. This Roman he was the Roman prefect in the area. Pilate was in what was largely considered to to be the worst of the Roman vassal states as the Jewish people were an old and proud people, and they did not take well to the rules of pagans like the Romans. And so there were lots of rebellions in this city-state or this area, and Pilate was constantly having to squash these rebellions. He had to deal with a lot of uprisings. Some of them he dealt with by force, which the Roman army was the greatest force in the land at the time, so it wasn't a hard thing. But some of them he allowed the Jewish people to get their way. And he would actually kind of capitulate a little bit and allow the Jewish people to, to get their way on different things. And you can kind of get that idea from the text here. So needless to say, he had dealt with the Jews many times, and he did not look fondly on them. And so get the picture here. The Jewish leaders are dragging an innocent man to the praetorium, which is this, this Roman headquarters for the area, It's the middle of the night, very early morning, and Pilate likely wants to go back to bed, and yet he has a divine appointment with the king of kings. He steps outside, and he sees these Jewish leaders who have given him so much grief over the years, and here they are with Jesus, a rabbi, not a soldier, not armed, and he's there with this host. And that brings us to the first point, that religion versus the truth of the gospel And so the first thing we notice here is that the Jewish leaders won't actually go into the house of Pilate. Since they led Jesus to the house of Caiaphas, or from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, it was early morning, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. And so what's going on here? They stay outside so that Pilate has to come out and meet them, because they believed, according to their traditions, that if you went into the house of a pagan for any reason that you that it would mean that you would become ceremonially unclean that you were likely to encounter some sort of uncleanness in their house and that was going to cause you to be unclean you could go into like a gentile courtyard for instance that the temple had and be okay but if it had a roof over the head silly sounds silly i know you would all of a sudden become unclean and you couldn't go and you couldn't be, take part in any of the temple ceremonies. And this was Passover week. And so they still wanted to partake of the Passover, be able to continue those Passover festivities. So they were not going to go into Pilate's house. You can kind of see why Pilate was probably frustrated with them. And so let's stop there for a moment. Consider what's just let's think about what's going on. You have a group of Jewish leaders and they value the ceremonial law, which really isn't even the law, so much that they refuse to walk into the house of a Gentile because that Gentile's house might contain unclean things. And again, there's no law in the, the Bible concerning going into a Gentile house. This is all tradition. This is something that they've dreamed up based off the law. And so each of them looks very pious to one another, right? well, we're not going in there, are we? And they all look around, oh, we're not going in there. Yet, they have with them an innocent man. They know know he's done nothing wrong, and they plan to have him killed. Turn with me to Titus, chapter 1, quickly. I think this passage really gives us a a look into this, especially when you consider the word that's used there, it's going to be used here in this passage in Titus as well. It says, They didn't go into the house because they wished to not be defiled. Well, look with me at Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Titus 1, 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, Nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him with their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So they refused to go into this house because they did not want to be defiled, but it's their unbelieving hearts that actually defile them. Not the fact that they can act pious in front of one another and not go into this pagan's house. They played the part, even though their hearts were still wicked. What do we call someone who does that? A hypocrite. And so, before we begin a round of Pharisee bashing, which is really easy for us to do, we like to do that, and it's actually kind of become the highest form of insult that one can receive inside the church anymore, well, you're a Pharisee. Can't really get lower than that. We need to consider our own hearts in this. Because aren't there times that we are more desperate to appear holy than to actually deal with the sin in our own hearts? Sure. There are lots of times if we're honest with ourselves. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23, and I'll show you this. Matthew chapter 23. starting at verse 23. And again, I'm going to read this. This is uh, called the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees, but we could easily say the seven woes to those people who think their works are actually shiny and good, which is all of us at times. Matthew 23, starting at 23. also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The Jewish leaders always made sure that they had the appearance of godliness, and no one could question that. No one could question that they had the appearance of godliness. But Jesus, who saw their hearts, And by this time of the story, I think that we've heard enough to know the inward workings of the Pharisees and understand what is meant by this term, Jesus saying whitewashed tombs, dead on the inside while maintaining a clean exterior. I think we understand what's going on here. And hopefully we understand that all of us at times are guilty of this. Why? Because there is a part of us that still believes that it's that clean exterior that actually gets us into heaven. Though our hearts have been made new and we've been born again in Christ, we're still trying to earn our salvation rather than actually deal with our sin at all. And you can paint over wicked all day, but it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that will actually cut through sin and death and deal directly with the sin that would overtake us. Remember what Jesus told us in John 6. What is the work that we are to be doing? The people wanted to know what they could do to inherit eternal life. They wanted to know what steps they could take. And Jesus said, believe in me. There's no amount of Christian appearance or faking it that is worth any count at all. And we act like this nonetheless. We don't enter the house of the Gentile because we don't want to be unclean, whatever, that form, whatever form it takes place in our own lives. And to be sure, the world acts this way too, right? But they can't even explain why. At least we understand what's going on or should. But they can't explain why. They fake their way through life in order to earn favor with whoever they need to impress for that day. I mean, I work in a building that is just full of that. If you want to see people put on 12 masks in one day, watch the average high school student. They will do whatever it takes to please whoever they need to. And it's stressful. It's horrible. We all know that. And so consequently, who are they attracted to? Who is the world attracted to the most? Attracted to folks who are transparent and honest. Because it's so rare and it's highly valued. They like to see someone who's very sure of themselves because it is such a rare quality. And so what should we do? What for us? We shouldn't shrink back in talking about sin and troubles with our unbelieving friends. Or with one another for that matter. We have nothing to prove to one another as Christians. We don't have to prove how good we are, thankfully. But with our unbelievers, friends, what is our faith if it isn't a daily reliance on Jesus to save us, even though that we know that we are still struggling with sin? That is the hope that we have, is it not? And so let us share that with an unbelieving world, not our piety. Now, to be sure, there's nothing wrong with holy living, and I'm not saying that, or following the law of God. However, notice in this passage that it wasn't the law that that was governing the hearts of these men. It wasn't the law that they were following, it was their traditions. The law is designed to do what? What do we know the law is designed to do? To draw us back to Christ. Because the law is incapable of, of us following the whole thing. What are our traditions designed to do? They're designed to build us up. And so we create these traditions in order to glorify ourselves, not to glorify God. And it's when the world sees this broken and contrite heart, the one that seeks to glorify God, that they'll see Jesus in us in what we do and what we say. So moving on, a worldly kingdom versus the truth of the kingdom of God. And so Pilate comes out to the Jews, and he asks them for an accusation. What is it that you accuse this man of? And the Jews kind of throw it back at him. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Kind of like refusing to answer the question, right? Why? Because there's nothing they can accuse him of. Anything real, anyway. What do they hold against Jesus? They hold blasphemy against him. Yet, what does a Roman governor care about this, what he would see as a theological squabble between people that he doesn't even hold their same religion? And so, this is why he instructs them to deal with it themselves. Go, go, try this man in your own courts. And we don't really get this in the in the passage, but this is almost mocking them in a way, because the Jewish laws had been completely taken over by the Roman government. they actually had very little power to execute any kind of sentence legally on Jesus for what he had done, particularly a death sentence. It was not lawful for them to put him to death, and they actually reminded Pilate of this almost as like a a way to show them, to put them in their place. But that's what they wanted to do, right? They wanted to put him to death. We know their plans. And so this is where Pilate takes him in. There was probably a conversation between Pilate and the Jewish leaders concerning Jesus where they said that Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews, which, of course, Jesus never made that claim. But that if you say he's claiming to be king, then all of a sudden the Roman government is threatened. And now there is a way to there is a way to uh, to deal with him, and it is a claim that both his fans, his followers, and his enemies had made of him, over and over. They assumed that he wanted the throne. They assumed that he wanted to be king. That's why he came. Remember, his followers even tried to make him king several times, and he kind of hid from them. Jesus resisted their earthly kingdom, and why did he do so? Well, he tells us. Pilate asks him. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, do you say this on your own accord? Or did others tell it to you about me? Jesus knew that he didn't come up with this on his own. And so Pilate, I think, seemingly being fair-minded here, he says, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered to me. What have you done? And so Jesus, rather than, I would say, directly answering the question, he continues with this idea of the kingdom, both saying to Pilate, no, I'm not talking about your kingdom. I'm talking about something completely different. His kingdom is not of this world. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my, my servants would have been fighting that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. So We learn a few things here. First, that though the world passes away, the kingdom of heaven will remain. Jesus is the king of all creation, physical and spiritual. So he is making sure that Pilate understands that his kingdom is not a physical threat to the Caesar. That was what Pilate was worried about, obviously, some sort of insurrection. But Jesus' kingdom is forever. When Rome is no more, which Rome is no more, as far as Caesar or as far as Pilate's Rome was concerned. Jesus will still reign. When Jerusalem was no more, eighty seventy, every stone was taken off the other stones, Jesus still reigned. His kingdom is a heavenly one. His people shouldn't be, aren't satisfied by things like physical territory, by possessions, but long for the day when we will inherit heavenly treasures. And it's when we forget ourselves and our true king that we long for the things of this world. But what does Jesus tell us? They're going to pass away. Jesus reminds us here that his kingdom is not of this earth. But that said, even though his kingdom is not of this earth, it is here in our midst. Turn with me to Luke 17 quickly. Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, starting at verse 20, and and look through 21. When he was questioned by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is here. It is in the midst of you. What does, he, what does he mean talking to the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees weren't believers, but there were believers among them. The kingdom of God is in the hearts of those who believe. We have the very Spirit of God. Remember Genesis 1, 2. The Spirit of God hovered over the surface surface of the deep during that time. Surveying his kingdom, which was everything. And that spirit now lives in us, establishing a heavenly kingdom. Our time on earth is short, but while we're here, we are to see the kingdom of God go forth into this world. And how do we do that? Preaching the message of the gospel, seeing strongholds removed. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation bowing before the throne of our king. That is how we do it. And so Paul says, so you are a king. And Jesus said, this is why I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of my is of the truth listens to my voice. This is why Jesus came, to declare the truth. About the kingdom of God to those who are His, those sheep who hear His voice and answer, which is everyone who the Father draws to Himself, those sheep will follow, those sheep will understand. And this is why, brothers and sisters, we don't have our own truth. There is one truth, and it's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what is His truth? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Want to enter the kingdom of God, the heavenly realm that isn't passing away, where there will be blessings without count, and life everlasting? Then what is the calling? What is the one that the truth himself says that we should do? Repent of your sin and call upon the name of Jesus Christ, and then you will be saved. That is the truth. And so when Pilate, probably a bit put off at this point, because Jesus is talking in things he can't understand, says, what is truth? It's an ironic statement from Pilate, isn't it? Knowing what we know, on this side, that truth stands there before him, the very word of God made flesh, stands there in front of him, and yet he doesn't see it. And we know why, don't we? Turn to Romans 1. Let's be reminded of this. Romans 1. Because this is important. Particularly when we are dealing with unbelievers. Like Pilate here. Romans 1, starting at verse 18. Why would Pilate ask what is truth when truth is standing there before him? The truth of God is so plain in creation that everyone is without excuse, yet what do they do? They suppress the truth. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. They know what the truth is. Pilate knew what the truth was. I think if you read through the gospel narratives concerning Pilate, He was a bit mixed up. I think this probably ruined him as a person. This was hard. There is the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet he sentences him to death. He attempts to release Jesus. He goes out and says, I find no fault with this man, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover, so what do you want me to do? Release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. It's incredible to think that he attempts to release Jesus, but ultimately leaves it up to the people who have a criminal named Barabbas released rather than their savior. Isn't this the picture of exactly what Paul was saying? They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It reminds me of a passage in Judges six or 17. In those days... There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone had their own truth, even though the truth stood there before them. And so, how do we tie this together? What do we see as right in our own eyes? And I think oftentimes that's working for our own salvation, sadly, following our own traditions rather than the Word of God, usurping the Creator for a law of our own making that glorifies us rather than our Savior. Brothers and sisters, we were just like these Jewish leaders. We were like Pilate, saying, what is truth but my own way? That is the truth. And so whatever it is in our hearts that is still holding on to that and and. Frankly, any time we sin, we are taking the truth of God and we're saying, no, this is my truth. I'm going to do this. And we have to understand it that way. So for that, let us repent. Turn back to God who is faithful to forgive. And so also then, let us take the truth of the kingdom of God into the world. Let me encourage you. I've had some great conversations over the last couple of weeks With different types of folks. School. I get to talk to some of the kids at school. They ask me questions all the time. Um, And then just being out in the community. Talking with different people. Talk to folks. Learn their stories. Almost across the board. You'll soon see. That they are in need of a kingdom. That won't pass away. And a God that will never leave them. Because without Jesus Christ. There's nothing but sadness. So let me encourage you to consider how your own traditions and your own concern over the favor of man keeps us from doing that, keeps us from talking with people about these things. People want to tell you their story. They want you to listen. So listen to them. We have this great salvation that we can offer them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the truth made flesh. You came to earth so that we who would readily exchange you for a criminal might be saved. And so, Father, help us right our hearts, because they are wrong. Make us to be in the image of your Son. Sanctify us with your truth. Your word is truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.